0: morning, everybody. Am I on? Okay, that's on. Hey. Look at this. What are the chances of us all wearing the same thing? Isn't that crazy? Sorry, dad joke. I'm glad you guys are here uh, this morning. I want to talk. If you want to turn in your copy of God's Word, you can follow along in 2 Kings 22. Actually, 2 Chronicles 34 as well is going to be the same story that I'm just going to kind of tell Because I got to witness probably one of the greatest revivals I've ever seen in my own life. And I just want to tell the story. Oh, I didn't mention my name. I'm Shafan. My name, and it doesn't mean anything special. It actually means rock badger or coney or hyrax. If you see that in the Bible, that's that's really all my name means. But my role is important. I was the secretary for King Josiah. I was his scribe, kind of his right-hand man. We had a lot of conversations over the years, but I was kind of his main go-to when he needed something done. And I want to tell you this story that happened during the reign of Josiah that just was amazing and it impacted my life in a a huge way. So let me back up a little bit and tell you about my people so you know the setting where, where all this is taking place. So my people, Israel, you've got Abraham, right? You guys have heard of him, Father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and his 12 sons. And we were enslaved in Egypt and then Moses delivers us and then Joshua leads us into the promised land and we conquered. And then it kind of conquered us a little bit and we had time that was a little rocky with the judges. But then we had our first king. Anyone remember who our first king was? Yeah, King Saul. So Saul, good looking guy, uh, not a great king, unfortunately. He was a little full of himself and um, just doing his own thing. But then after Saul was David, the king, man after God's own heart. Not perfect, right? But man, he was someone that we knew, and and God God blessed him. God made these promises like one of his descendants was always going to sit on the throne, and it sounded like this Messiah that we were looking forward to was going to be related to him. And then Solomon, his son, uh, was okay. Early part of his life. He was really seeking the Lord. And then um, he started marrying all these wives that took his heart towards these other gods that these wives followed. And he ends up setting up in Israel these altars for these false gods. And, and he's worshiping himself, worshiping them himself. So things weren't going good then. And then to make matters worse, his son, Rehoboam, takes power. And this is, so this is David's grandson And he ends up not listening to the wise men that are trying to give him some good advice and splits the kingdom. Like almost all of the kingdom decides, we want to follow you. And they decide to follow this guy named Jeroboam. So 10 of the tribes decide, we're going to now follow somebody else that's not the rightful king. And they decided, we're just going to keep the name Israel. This is most of us still, so we're Israel. And they were up in the north. And unfortunately, starting with Jeroboam, they worship false gods. Like he set up a new capital, new system of sacrifice and worship. And consequently, none of the kings in the north followed after God. They were all wicked. Because of that, they went downward faster, spiraled out of control quicker. God sent prophets. They didn't listen. Finally, Assyria uh, conquers them. In the south, half of our kings were pretty good. It was kind of a roller coaster. Uh, God was still sending prophets, but half of them, you'd have some really great kings, and then you'd have some really lousy wicked kings. And um, because of the, the good kings, that slowed things down a little bit. Um, but eventually the southern kingdom is gonna is gonna be pretty bad off as well. So the story that, that I want to share with you takes place in the southern kingdom, and Josiah is the 16th king. So starting with Rehoboam, and then all the way down, this is king number 16. And he's got some, some good and bad heritage. His great-grandfather is Hezekiah, one of our best kings, um, really mighty man. He had to kind of endure during the Assyrians, threatening us in the south. But then Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, is the wickedest king. I mean, he's so bad, God actually says, you're now worse than the people who were living there before you. Now, that's, that's really bad. You guys know if God says that because they were pretty wicked. And the and the hard thing too is Manasseh reigned the longest, 55 years. He was king, so the Assyrians conquered him a little bit and took him captive. He kind of repented and came back and tried to undo some of the stuff he had done. Didn't really take though, because he had it, it was so like he was sacrificing some of his own children to these false gods. That's how bad Manasseh was. He comes back, tries to do a little reform, but after he dies, uh, his son Ammon comes in and he. Wants nothing to do with God. So he goes back to ruling wickedly. He's only king for two years, and he gets assassinated. Um, Some people think it was like, was he pro-Syria versus pro-Babylon, all this stuff. He gets assassinated. So his son, Josiah, gets put in power at eight years old. Okay? Now, I lived during, I grew up during the time of Manasseh when things were pretty bad. Got involved in politics and leadership a little bit. So I get put in charge here with kind of raising Josiah, a bunch of us leaders. And he had a great godly mother. But we're raising him up, trying to give him advice. And and, and, and during this really tumultuous time of Assyria is no longer in power, but Babylon's coming into power. Crazy stuff. And um, at the same time, outwardly in our culture, things are still pretty bad. Like we're worshiping we got Yahweh. Like I was a cultural Jew. Like I would every day say the Shema, the Hero Israel, the Lord our God, and I kind of knew where we came from. But um, there was also so many other options, so many other gods, so many other fun ways of worshiping that um, were pretty enticing for our people. But let me tell you why Josiah was significant. If you go all the way back to Jeroboam, okay, when they split into the north and south, Jeroboam became king, and he is setting up these altars in Bethel of all places, the house of God. He's sitting at these altars, and this random prophet shows up. We did not even know his name, and makes a prediction. So I want you to listen to, I was going to hold up the scroll for you guys to read, but your technology is really cool. I can just put it up on the screen now. Um, I was going to chisel it up, and I decided this. we'll just do this. It's pretty cool. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Now here's a couple of weird things, or amazing things. Josiah is named by name. This is almost 300 years before Josiah. Through this random prophet, God says someone's going to show up one day who's going to tear this altar down. So that always made it intriguing when I, when I got this assignment like, okay, is this the Josiah that we had talked about? Is he going to be the one that does these things? Um, just to kind of give you the layout of things, of how things used to be, um, I sketched this picture of our temple real quick. Um, the, in its heyday, our temple was amazing. Like you could see it for miles away, from miles away. And we had all this stuff going on day and night and all these sacrifices. Over time... I mentioned the southern kingdom had good and bad kings. Over time, it just kind of fell into disrepair. We didn't really keep up with it. And internally, I'll, I'll share with you a little bit what was inside here and what stuff was set up in the temple. But basically, we didn't take care of it. We didn't clean it. We didn't uh, repair anything. If anything fell over. We just kind of didn't care about this. And this originally was like the presence of God was here in this temple. That's where we were. And then Josiah becomes king. So let me give you kind of a little... Snapshot of some things. Whenever when we recorded things about the um, kind of a summary statement of each king, they all kind of started the same way. And I'll share this one with you that's uh, that's recorded. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's kind of how all of our descriptions of kings started, either that it was evil in the eyes of the Lord or that it was right. Very few of them, it's like, and they did, yeah. like, it's always like either one, one or the other. So I wrote down a few things uh, about Josiah that's really significant. And this is about 80 years after the northern kingdom had been destroyed, okay, conquered by Assyria. Babylon's come to power, got this young king, and um, some, some things happened. When he was a teenager at age 16, he begins to seek the Lord, ages of a lot of you guys, he decides, I'm going to seek the Lord. And here's the problem, what that looks like at the time, as I'll share with you in a minute, uh, we didn't have, we didn't know where um, the, the, the book of the law was. And so he's like, I need to pray more. I need to think about what I know about David, kind of the oral traditions that have been passed down. But he begins to seek the Lord. He and I start having more conversations. He's asking me questions about what's going on. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was a good sign that things were going in the right direction, I, I felt, from, from what I could tell. And this also began kind of what I call the the critical decade because of what happens during this time. Four years later, when he was 20 years old, he decides he's going to purge the city and pretty much our kingdom of idols. Now, the thing is, he really didn't know how to do this exactly, but he decides, let's get rid of anything that's like an idol. Metal images, let's just tear them down, knock them over, and he gives us the command and we go out and we do this. It was this reform, but the thing is, it was really just kind of external stuff. It wasn't really internal. like The people were not thrilled that the king decided to do this because it was kind of coming from, from, from on high, from the king, and the people were like, I guess we got to obey. As you're going to find out, it didn't really stick. But here's what happened. The very next year, when he was 21 years old, this really, really young prophet named Jeremiah starts preaching. He was originally a priest. He's of this priestly line, I'll tell you, exactly how close he was in just a minute, but he starts preaching, and um, he never mentions that Josiah is kind of the problem, but he's talking about the priests and the leaders and the elders of Israel, and he's not pulling any punches. He's starting to talk about disaster coming from the north and how wicked we are and these false gods and um, stirring up a lot of trouble. People didn't didn't like him. Um, Here's an example of what he would say, things like this that we recorded. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? That's Yahweh. Those who handle the law did not know me. This is Yahweh speaking. The shepherds, the leaders, they're supposed to be shepherding my people, transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. And he goes on a little bit later and he says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and turned to these empty cisterns that are broken that can't hold water. A little bit later, it was recorded that Jeremiah said, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Can you guys imagine a culture where people aren't ashamed anymore of stuff they should be ashamed about? I don't know if you guys can relate to this. It's just, wow. Now, another prophet shows up at the around this time. His name is Zephaniah. And he starts making these predictions as well. So now we're getting it from two sources. From uh, Yahweh apparently, Zephaniah says things like this, God speaking here, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, that's like sun, moon, stars, um, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, that's the God of the Ammonites, really bad guy, Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So there's lots of tension during this time. Jeremiah and Zephaniah kind of on the scene. And I've got King Josiah wrestling over what do I do as king. So this is, I think, this critical decision. Probably the most important decision he makes. Actually, it is. When he was 26 years old, this is kind of why I call this critical decade. He calls me in, Shaphan, I want you to repair the temple. I want to get this thing going. I want to make the temple cleaned up again. And um, he tells me and the governor and one other guy to go to Hilkiah, the high priest. And we've got this money that we've been collecting that we haven't been using for the temple. So that's bad. And uh, we go to Hilkiah and we're like, here's this money. Uh, We've got some workers that are going to come and clean up this place. And here you go. Just let us know how it goes. And my job is to... Kind of monitor this, report back to the king. And so they, they set to work. They're repairing the structure of the inside. They're cleaning it. Um, not really cleaning it out, as you'll see in a little bit. Um, but they discover something. And this is what's so ironic and so crazy. In the midst of going through the temple here, they discover the book of the law. Like the Torah. Like God's word. Like we didn't even know where it was. Hilkiah, the high priest. Like the representative of God to the people and to the people to God. Like He didn't even know where it was, and they discover it. So we, I hear about this, and I come to the temple, and they're looking at it. I drew this this real fast on my tablet. Uh, kind of remember this moment. And Hilkiah comes up to me, and he says, I got something that you need to tell the king. You need to show the king. And his face is a little pale. He looks a little distraught. But he doesn't seem like he's really interested in reading it. He's like, I just need to, you just, we got the book of the law. Give it to the king. And I'm like... Like, the the book, this is the scroll of, yeah, first five books of your Bible. And I'm like, this is a big deal. I'd grown up hearing all these oral traditions, but had never read it for myself. So you know what I did first? I read it myself. And I was fascinated to see all of these stories of God's people. And then I got to Deuteronomy. We call it Deverim. We got to Deuteronomy, and I began to be really alarmed because this is a lot about God's people and even the kings who should lead them. And I'm like, all right, i got to how do I get this to the king? So I show up the next day with my report, talking about, oh, king, the, uh, the cleaning of the temples, re- restore, just like you ordered, and things are going great. Yeah. Got another uh, item on my agenda I need to talk to you about. They found a book. And um, it's the book. And he's like, what do you mean, the book? I'm like, the, the book of the law, like the law from on high, from the Lord. And... Uh, he was just kind of shocked, and I was like, would, would you like me to read it to you? And he said, yeah, okay. So we cleaned everybody out, cleared our schedule, and um, somebody made a quick drawing of me and the king as I was reading. That's me on the right. I think, I, I think I've aged pretty good. So we start reading, and um, much of the first chapters are pretty tame, We're just talking about what God has done for our people. We knew Deuteronomy 6 because we had memorized that, and um, it does talk about there's, there's just one God, and that's a little bit troubling. Uh, but it's all that God has done. We should pass this on. But um, chapter 10 is what had gotten my attention earlier. And I'm going to share this with you and, and explain why this got Josiah's attention as well. So Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 12, says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? So now all of a sudden we're realizing God's talking about something inside, not just outside, right? And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I'm commanding you today for your good, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you, as sojourners in the land of Egypt, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. So as the king listened, what really perked his ears up is something that we've been talking about. There was this phrase in here, circumcise your hearts. And the reason that, that stirred something in us is because Jeremiah had just been saying this exact same thing. Let me read you what Jeremiah said, we recorded this, if you return, O Israel declares the Lord to me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts. So Deuteronomy was saying something that Jeremiah is saying right when we're reading this stuff at the same time. O men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So we move on. Uh, Deuteronomy 11 is helpful, but Deuteronomy 12 talks about this kind of playbook, like how you should go into the land and tear down all these altars, talking to God's people. And I think that kind of becomes the playbook that Josiah goes back to because we're getting rid of everything. But I really wanted to see the king's response to Deuteronomy 17 because it talked about what Israel's king should be doing. So listen to this. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him and he shall read it in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue along in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. When I finish that, Josiah stands up and he tears his robe. And that might sound weird to you guys. In my culture, that's the sign of repentance and agony and regret and like, oh my goodness. And I kind of thought, his ears were going to perk up about that because he realized then he was supposed to be reading God's law and having it on his heart. He was actually supposed to be writing a copy of God's law. We didn't even know where God's law was. And so he kind of has this fear, and he's like, surely we're in trouble. We're really in trouble. So as usual, Shiphon, come here. I want you and Hilkiah pick a few other people. Take my servant, Shaphan. take your son, pick one other guy. You guys have got to figure out, are we in trouble? Go inquire of the Lord. So we got this little committee now. So we leave, and we're huddled up, and uh, we're like, okay, so we've got to inquire of the Lord. I said, why don't we start with Jeremiah? That just makes sense, right? And Hilkiah goes, <clears throat> actually, no, um, let's not, let's not, and I'm like, why? And Hilkiah goes, uh, Jeremiah is my son. And that's just not going to be where things aren't great. But I was like, oh, okay. Weird. We'll talk about that a little bit more about what we discovered. So then I was like, well, okay, Zephaniah, how about that? The servant goes, uh, no, remember, Zephaniah is cousin to the king. That's going to be tough in the family. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. And so then the servant goes, I know, I got it, I got it. The keeper of the wardrobe, he's related to a prophetess named Huldah. She lives over in the second quarter. You guys know where that is? Yeah, second quarter. Okay, why don't we go to her? Maybe she'll be nicer. I don't know. So our committee goes to the second quarter. We find her. It was really weird. It was almost like she knew we were coming. And she says, tell the man who sent you, yeah, destruction because of all this idol worship. It's going to be bad. But tell the king, Josiah, because the Lord has seen his heart, I'm not going to bring this on him. So we leave, we're like, okay, good news, bad news, we'll go to the king. Of course, it's my job, i got to go to the king and tell him this stuff. Told him the the bad news, and then I told him the good news, but it won't be you. And and this is where I really began to respect the king. He said, because he could have said, well, okay, it's not going to be me, I'm all right. But I I could see he was more concerned. He was like, guys, is there any way we can avoid this? Is there anything that we can do? What, What could we do? We got to let the people know. They didn't even know God's law. They didn't even know this stuff. So he gives me another command send out word in the entire kingdom. Literally, I want everybody who can be here to be here. I want the prophets and the priests. I want the elders. I want the leaders. Everybody who can be here with their families. And I'm going to read God's law. I was sure going to be there. So I brought my, I have four sons. I brought them. We were all going to be there. Huge gathering, you guys. And we were all very patient. Our attention span maybe was a little longer than some of y'all's. The king stands up there in front of the temple and listen to this. Talking about Josiah. And he, the king, read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. He challenged us. This is what I'm going to do now. Things are going to be different. Will you join me? I raised my hand. I was like, I I need that. I need this direction. I need this, I need this book to guide me. We've been flailing around and now we've got it. We have the word of God, the very word of God. So now we've started some of these same reforms that happened before, but what I saw was this different passion in Josiah's eyes. Now he wanted to get rid of these idols because he saw this is detestable to the Lord. Like we had sacrifices to Molech, you guys. I don't know if you guys can relate to this. People would sacrifice their babies on this altar for this. This God. And it was all in the name of convenience. Can you guys fathom a culture that sacrifices babies just for convenience? I don't know if you can, but that's where we were. Crazy, right? So we got this list of all the things he tells us to do. And I I, I wrote them down. As I'm writing them all down, I'm like going, man, as I'm describing these, things are really bad. Things are really, really bad, out of control. Listen to this. Starting with the temple. We start with the temple this time. In the temple of Yahweh, the God of the universe, we had to remove all the vessels for Baal, Asherah, and all the hosts of heaven. As they start bringing this stuff out, I'm looking over at Hilkiah. Seriously? Seriously? All of this stuff was in the temple? You left all this stuff, this worship of Baal? I mean, as they're toting this stuff out, it's crazy how much stuff for all of these false gods in the Holy of Holies... Could not believe it. And I now I think I understand why Hilkiah wasn't that interested in reading the book of the law for himself. So it goes on. We had to remove from the entrance of the temple the horses dedicated to the sun and burn the chariots of the sun. Remove all the altars from the courts and all the Asherah poles. That was kind of a cohort of Baal. We had to break down the houses of the male cult prostitutes. Yeah, that's what we had. That was like their job. And we, we, we fed them. We paid for them. We removed the women who wove hangings for these Asherah in those same houses. Then in and around Jerusalem, we broke down all the high places at the gates, destroyed the altars earlier kings had made on the roof. We defiled Topheth. This is this place where they would sacrifice um, their children. Defiled just means we made it where they can't worship it anymore. We would either disintegrate, chop down, pulverize, burn, whatever it was. We're like, you are no longer going to be able to do this. We're getting rid of all these idols. Uh, We defiled all the high places. For these false gods, Ashtoreth, Chemosh, and Milcom, built by Solomon. This is what Solomon starts. All throughout Judah, we had to depose all of the priests that the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense to Baal. Israel's priests, the kings of Judah, had appointed these guys as priests to Baal. That's how bad things were with our kings. And they're still in action. They're still in business. So we get rid of all those guys. Um, They're burning incense also to all the hosts of heaven. Then we just basically defiled all the high places and all the towns. It was pretty bad. But here's what I also loved about Josiah. It wasn't about just getting rid of all these things. Now we're repairing the temple, we're cleansing the temple, but now we're replacing them with something. We started the Passover again. For you guys, it might not seem like that big a deal, like a juice and cup thing. I mean, the cup and little piece of, cracker or something for us this was our identity this is going back to our roots who are we what do we believe who is our God what has he done for us in our homes talking about this this is what we've lost this is what we've forgotten we got to get back to the beginning and remember who our God is so what all of this taught me let me just wrap up by sharing with you a few things As I reflected on this story, I realized that all started with neglecting God's word. That's where we got off track. We neglected God's word. And then I realized this. I didn't realize how far we drifted until I compared it to God's standard. Like, I thought we were okay. Like, yeah, we're not great compared to. But, no, compared to God's standard, I realized we are way off. That's what showed me that I was crooked. The straight line of God's word. I also realized there's a difference between outward reform and inward revival. Like, Josiah had tried this earlier, but it was all just kind of outward stuff. Inwardly, when this was his passion, I could see it. I could feel it. You could hear it in his voice. Now, things are different now. It was inward revival. That's what caught me on fire. I realized I wanted in my heart. That's this theme, my heart, my heart, my heart. It's like God wanted my heart, which is all of me. I also realized taking God's word seriously changed the trajectory of my entire family. So, a little bit later in this history of Israel, unfortunately after Josiah, he's the last godly king. Jeremiah is still prophesying, warning that Babylon's going to take him over. And some of these kings didn't want to hear from Jeremiah. In fact, they wanted to get rid of him. Two of my sons protected Jeremiah. My grandson even was old enough to help out with this. Years later even... Nebuchadnezzar appointed my grandson to be governor of Judah for a while, in this in-between, before they were finally exiled. But all of that happened because I changed, and I wanted my sons to be different, and my grandsons to be different. And then the last thing, is I, as I looked back on that story, man, our incredibly holy God takes idolatry seriously, but is also full of mercy and grace. Even that he would send all these prophets to warn us. Do you guys realize A warning isn't judgment. Do you know that? A warning is a gift. A lot of times we get all mad about God warning, like, no, that's a great thing. We need to be warned. We need to hear this. And I want to take sin seriously, but I am so glad that this God that we serve is full of mercy and grace. So here's my charge to you guys. My final admonition is this. If God has spoken, nothing else is more important. Do you even know where your Bible really is? Is it a priority? Is it shaping you? Is it your standard? If he's spoken, it's more important than anything else. Any other relationship, any other hobby, any other entertainment? It's that important. I realize I need to flee from anything that erodes integrity. We did not get to this point overnight, you guys. Where we were and all of this terrible stuff didn't just happen overnight. Little by little, we got off. We, we, we tolerated this and then this and allowed this and this. And then before we knew it, we're sacrificing our children. So I realized in my own life, in anything that's eroding my integrity, even small stuff, i got to get away from that. i got to flee from it. I realized for me, it started with me as an individual, as a husband, as a father. The legacy that I so wanted to leave was going to fall short if I wasn't living it out. Simply put, you leave what you live. Not what I say, I believe, but what I live before my kids. And when my life changed, my family's life changed, and my sons and my grandsons, their life was changed as well. So it starts individually, and then you live that out. And the last thing I, I mentioned already, but never, never get over the fact that our God is holy and just, and at the same time, he is merciful and loving and full of grace. That same prophet Zephaniah that prophesied all of this terrible doom and bad stuff ended his recorded prophecies by saying this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Us, rebels. What we had done was so insulting to the God of the universe. He's going to sing over me. Oh my goodness, I don't deserve that. We always had this excited idea of this anointed one that was going to come from David, the Mashiach, Messiah, and somehow all the sacrifices that we did, that we were trying to appease, whatever, didn't. It still left me feeling guilty. But it was, it was a heart thing that I, I realized that Yahweh wanted. And even Jeremiah, who would pronounce all this doom, later would say something like this. This is the Lord speaking. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. We're back to the heart again. And then he starts talking about a new covenant. We knew the covenant of Moses, we knew the covenant that Josiah made, but then the Lord said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And here's what Jeremiah later recorded. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. We don't need any intermediates, anyone in between us and God. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We're going to end with a time of of reflection and invitation. And my challenge to you is, where's God's word in your life? What's the condition of your temple, of your heart? Can you say, I know the Lord? Can you say, he's forgiven my iniquity, he's covered my sin? That's my challenge for you. So we're going to sing in just a moment. And if you want to, if you've been considering joining this, this church looks like a pretty good church. If you'd like to join it. If you need prayer, whatever. We're going to give you a time to get things right to to reflect on this. So bow your heads with me, please. Father God, God of our fathers, we cry out to you. We humble ourselves before you. We thank you for this story of Josiah. The power of your word, the convicting power of your word how it changes hearts. I pray above all that the message today of the condition of our heart would resonate, Lord, that we would allow it to convict us and judge us, but also encourage us and change us. Lord, that we would be able to say that we do know you because of the Messiah that you sent, because of the new covenant that you provided through his blood. Thank you that you do heal and forgive remove our iniquity. God, I pray that you continue to do that, that we allow your word to penetrate our heart. Thank you for being the God that you are, full of holiness and justice, but also mercy and love and forgiveness and grace. And it's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.